Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, y'all? It's your host, Will Cooper, coming back for another episode of the Hunt Stamp Podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I'm going to encourage y'all to head on over to YouTube real quick and do something for me. I need y'all to subscribe to our new YouTube channel called Field Notes Outdoors. That's brought to you by HuntStand. Now, I know some of y'all are probably questioning, what's up, man? Like, why are y'all starting this new YouTube channel? Well, let me tell y'all real quick. We're starting up this new YouTube channel called Field Notes Outdoors to bring y'all pure organic hunting content. We're going to be bringing y'all some advice, tips, and tactics from seasoned and veteran hunters from across the industry. And we're doing this because we just want it to be a hunting-only channel. You know, we've got this other great YouTube channel we've been doing. We're going to continue to be doing lots of stuff over there, but we want y'all to head on over to Field Notes Outdoors. Make sure y'all subscribe and hit that little bell. If y'all do that, you'll get notified every time we bust out a new video. We're going to be bringing out weekly content, and we're actually kicking it off with our Spring Posse Turkey Series. Josh and I just wrapped up a hunt here in Texas, and so that's going to be dropping here fairly soon on that new YouTube channel. So make sure y'all are subscribed. Hit that bell. Y'all don't want to miss out on that. We're going to be doing lots of cool stuff this summer. We're going to dive into elk season, and then we're going to get hot and heavy into whitetail through the rest of the year. So if you don't want to miss out on that, subscribe, hit the bell. Can't thank y'all enough. But on today's episode, we're going to be talking to Michael Lee from Backwoods Life TV. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram. Their handle is at Backwoods Life TV. They've been on the Sportsman's Channel for about 18 seasons now. They do a lot of cool things across the country. Lots of turkey hunting, deer hunting, fishing, you name it. These guys do it. But we get Michael Lee on here today to talk about some lucky drawers. Now, some of y'all might be superstitious, especially you bass fishermen out there. You know, y'all, y'all are super superstitious about those bananas in the boats. Well, Michael's got some stuff of his own, and we're going to let him talk about that. He's also going to bring some really cool and really great killer turkey tactics, stuff he does. And we're just going to dive in there and pick his brain, go down a couple of rabbit holes, and we just, we're, we're going to see what comes out of this one, y'all. So, nonetheless, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast, rate, review it for us. We greatly appreciate it, and we can't thank y'all enough for tuning in to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. If you're new, welcome, and if you're coming back for more, we thank you. Can't appreciate you enough, and we hope you enjoy. You ready to dive in? Let's do this thing, man. All right, man. Well, Mike, you go by Mike or Michael? Which one you like? Michael. Yeah. All right, man. Well, man, we can't thank you enough for hopping on the Hunt Stand Podcast with us today. So first and foremost, welcome to the Hunt Stand Podcast. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, one of the things I like to do to get the podcast started with, I mean, we're going to dive into everything turkey hunting here in a little bit, but I like to start out with the guest giving us a 30-foot tree stand view of who you are. You know, where do you live? Where are you from? How'd you get into to what you do? Let, let's dive into that real quick. 
Oh, no problem. Um, well, I'm Michael Lee. I'm from, grew up in South Georgia, still live in South Georgia. I live about 20, 30 miles from the Florida line, right in the middle of the state, north of uh, Valdosta, Georgia, which is uh, called Titletown, USA. Just look it up on the internet if you've never heard of it. Yeah. Uh, we got all these football championships, which I didn't go to school here. I went to college here, but I'm <laughs> from about an hour up the road, so mm-hmm. I can't take credit for any of those, you know, winning days. But anyway, I uh, grew up here, uh, families from here, family farm here, uh, learned how to hunt and fish at a young age from my, my dad, my grandfathers, my uncles. I mean, my whole family was into outdoors. Yeah. I grew up on a farm raising cows and row crops and things like that. So uh, that's what my background then played tons of sports growing up, uh, baseball for years. And then uh, kind of how we got into backwards life was uh, Kevin Knight, my co-host, and I, we met in a hunting store in 2004. And Kevin was there to talk to another guy about doing video stuff, and I saw some of Kevin's work. And I I played around with video cameras and stuff like that just for the fun of it, you know, just videoing deer while I was sitting out there. And my dad did that a lot growing up just for the fun of it. So um, that's kind of where Kevin and I crossed paths, and we came up with Backwoods Life Concept and another buddy of ours here, Trey Weatherington, helped us get it going back in the day. And um, man, it's just been a crazy ride. I get, I get that question a lot. Like how, how did you get started and, and to get to where you're at? And yeah. there's no roadmap. I think anybody, we've been in the oh, industry for no. eight, you know, 18 years now. And um, I, I was doing another podcast this, this past week or this week with uh, John Tate, who's a producer in the industry and mm-hmm. worked for Real Tree forever, a good friend of mine. And we were just talking about there's everybody that's been around for a while, there's no roadmap. Like you can't duplicate that process. It's not like you just woke up one day and, okay, I called somebody and said, if you do these three steps, you're going to be in the outdoor, outdoor industry doing what you want to do. It, it just doesn't work that way. Everybody's got their own path, their own journey, their own, you know, story, basically. So that's how we, we came to fruition and, um, you know, rode the wave and had the bumps of building any anybody else has building a business and yeah and we're blessed to be here still <laughs> now are you doing this full time or is this kind of job number two or full-time? um no i mean I, this is pretty much I, I do this and i do marketing in the outdoor industry okay. um, and and i work with lethal products um, mm-hmm. a majority of my time doing their marketing and product development and e-commerce i mean we, the whole column with them they they asked me to come help out with that uh, about six years ago. And, and I really enjoy doing that. I mean, I, I think I thrive off of, of business being business minded and, and building things. And I like to see things succeed. So they asked me to come in and help with them. So I was like, heck yeah, I can do that too. And I don't know, some days I'm like, I just told you I, before we started, I got mm-hmm. a laptop here, a phone here, a computer here. And I mean, it's like, I really wonder if I've bitten off more <laughs> than I can. <laughs> A lot of multitasker so, uh, deluxe man yeah yeah but we've been blessed with backwards life man we do really well with it we've got a great gauntlet of companies that we work with and i think we've got 20 25 brands that we represent you know on that side of things through our our tv show social media yep. digital outlets our roku channel youtube everything and i mean just like you guys with hunt stand i mean we're we could be happier to have you know solid partners that we built this thing off of all these years I love it, man. I love it. And, you know, I kind of want to go back to what you're talking about, how, um, cause I get asked, I mean, I think everybody in the outdoor industry gets asked this a lot. Cause I think people that they're friends with and followers on social media see like, you know, they're getting to go hunt occasionally and they're like, man, like I want to get in the outdoor industry. Like, how do I do that? But what they don't see is what you just talked about is like, there's no roadmap. And a lot of times, like it takes time. It takes years to kind of get to where you want to be. And then when they see that, they think they can just have it like that. And, and it's a common misconception, man. I mean, especially in the, in the world we live in today and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not knocking on any age demographics, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little bit older than you. I mean, uh, <laughs> I got, a, I got I, a couple I, of gray hairs. <laughs> well, this was just last week, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, you know, Honestly, when we started Backwoods Life, we, we walked in ATA show. Mm-hmm. They had it in Atlanta, Georgia, the first one we ever went to. Yeah. And the show was so small, we could walk through the entire show within those two or three days. And we talked to every company in there. Yeah. And and when I got back home, uh, this was I was working full time. We were all working full time jobs then. 
So, um, you know, we're, we're we come back home and this back when you could have the, the directory from the show with everybody's contact, everybody's phone number, everybody's email address before everything went crazy. Right. Oh yeah. People started bombarding for sponsorships and all yeah. this, but we, um, I literally, I emailed over 250 companies out of that directory. Oh. I got one. And we're still with that one today. It's quality archery designs. We've been with them that long. That's awesome. And, but that just shows you how hard this is. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, when we started back then, I mean, this was before there was there was no social media. Yeah. There were no Facebook. There were no Twitter. No Instagram. YouTube was a thought in process. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that that's really how it was. You had to go beat the bushes. You had to be persistent. And I don't feel like, and I'm not knocking what anybody else out there is doing. I mean, today it's, I've got an Instagram page. Hey, will you sponsor me? You know, and, and yep. it's just the signs of the times. It's the, it's the work ethic is totally different. Now I'm not saying there's not hardworking people out there mm-hmm. doing this and, and trying to follow in those footsteps. But, um, you know, we literally started the first year that Realtree Road Trips was on Outdoor Channel. That was our first year. Really? Ago. Okay. And that, that you know, and 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 Waddell and and Steve Finch that developed that. I mean, that they changed the dynamic of the of the hunting show. Mm-hmm. You know, that was back when. I mean, that's that's all you had was TV then. And um, so we've hung around. We went many many years without ever making a dime, and that's that's hard for a lot of people to understand and hard yeah. for people to realize. You have to sacrifice to get to where you want to be. And you gotta love it. And you gotta love it. <laughs> I tell everybody we're either. Uh, they're either just letting us hang around too long that we're going to be all right. Or we're just too dumb to quit. I don't know which one. <laughs> too smart. Too smart. <laughs> well, man, let's, I want to dive into turkey hunting with you. Um, you know, with where you're at, I know the birds are doing a lot of different things and what they're doing in other, many other parts of the nation, but I really kind of want to dive into your knowledge and try and pick some golden nuggets from you to give to the listeners. Mm-hmm. And so, when it comes to turkey turkey hunting, uh, are you a bass fisherman at all? Oh yeah, that's that's literally what I did since I was two years okay. old until hunting took over my life. <laughs> so you know the whole banana in the boat superstition, right? Oh yeah. What oh, kind? Yeah. I want to start this off kind of a little bit of an icebreaker. What kind of superstitions or even rituals do you have when it comes to turkey hunting? I don't have any rituals per se, but I'm going to give away three things. All right. there's, there's three things that popped in my head really quick. <laughs> All right. And this is it's maybe t- TMI, but you asked. Dive into it, man. Let's go. I have a lucky pair of underwear. <laughs> I've got now, one. Now, I'm not going to, I don't wear these every day on a turkey hunt. So don't mm-hmm. think I'm going out there for a week turkey hunt and not changing my drawers. <laughs> so I've got, I've got a lucky pair of underwear. Yep. They're literally lucky brand underwear. <laughs> <laughs> They're gray with green four-leaf clovers on them. And every Sunday that I have worn those turkey hunt, I have killed a turkey. And I'm talking for years now. Now, is it just on Sundays that you wear them? or it's just do you... on Sunday. Okay. Like, so like you... I, the, literally, when the, the, the streak, if you want to call it that, yeah. I don't mean a pun <laughs> with underwear. <laughs> Yeah, easy on your words there, man. Play on words. <laughs> Not those kind of streets and underwear, but like I literally started that. Like it was, it was like I, the first, remember the first time I, I think I was down in Florida like four years ago. Yeah, and I was like, well, here we go. There's new pair of underwear. I'm gonna try them out. Maybe this is my lucky day. And boom, I killed a turkey. I'm like, All right, well, you know that's coincidental. Next, the next, literally the next Sunday, I was hunting. I don't know if I was in Georgia where I was at, mm-hmm. and. All right, it's Sunday. Well, there's it's like like Tiger Woods wearing his red and black on Sunday yep. Yep. at a tournament. That's so, that's my Sunday turkey hunting superstitious thing, and and I'm done at deer hunting and stuff like that too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, those draws have killed a lot. <laughs> so do you have like a do you have like a vacuum sealed bag that those things like stay in until that like has to get cut out and taken out on a Sunday or like a special box? I, I I wish I did, but like no, they just gonna pile on everything else. I just know. Hey. All right, that, that one of this trip, I'm gonna take them just in case. If I can't kill, you know, Friday, Saturday, Thursday, whatever, that's that's my go-to. And if that doesn't work, I, I've got nothing. I'm throwing everything at them by then. So. I think I just gave yeah. you a YouTube video idea. <laughs> that that's one thing. Um, I always uh, uh, we did a charity hunt years and years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a deer hunt. And what it was, it was called Hope Outdoors. I don't think the organization, I don't know if they do anything anymore now. It's been so long. But um, they would take terminally ill 
kids, handicapped kids, terminally ill adults. Yeah. Uh, and we would take them in, in late season Alabama and try to try to take them deer hunting and shoot a deer. Awesome. And there's a guy who's who's passed away now. Um, his name was Mr. Charlie. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a Bible, little one of the small little new international version. Yeah. Bible, like you see in a wherever hotel, a little bitty one. Yeah. And I always carry that in my backpack when I'm deer hunting. And I carry it in my turkey vest every spring. So I'll switch it back and forth from pack to, to turkey vest. And I've done that literally since he gave that to me. I love it, so man. That, that's, that's been, that's been more, more than 10 years or so ago. So I always have that. And another crazy thing, um, I was, this is just, this was just recently. It was the last turkey season. I was in Kentucky. Yep. And we have we were like all over the birds, but it just wouldn't work out. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And I was up there with my, my friends Ryan and Kathy Whitaker. And one of Kathy's things is she could walk through your food plot with clover, and she'll find a four leaf clover. What? And I, I literally walked beside her through it. I'm like, I can't see these things. She's like, There's one. There's one. Like she said, I don't know what it is about. She said, By my eyes, but I gravitate to four leaf clovers. Serious. And I'm I'm turkey hunting with them, and like she finds two literally where we just killed a turkey and she gives them both to me i put them in my turkey vest they're all dried up and stuck in a compartment right now but i got i got this two four leaf clovers in my turkey vest so don't lose them but exactly so we're gonna see if if i can get i got the triangle so now i just need to complete the square and you know mm-hmm. maybe we'll have us a good little foolproof good luck sequence of turkey hunting heck yeah man that's awesome well, i love it i love those three rituals it's hilarious the, especially the underwear thing i think you, you got to make a video man just like having those things like special vacuum seal like they only get busted out on special last minute ditch uh situations yep. i love it so what i really want to dive into is how you turkey hunt i know there's you know like when it comes to deer hunting elk hunting everybody kind of has their their own process how they tackle different areas what they do especially in new areas but i kind of want to just let's let's dive into like what's the first thing you're doing opening morning like i mean obviously you're probably trying to put some beds together you've probably done a little bit of pre-scout and stuff like that but what's michael doing opening morning um well first off we're already too deep this year there you <laughs> go that and that was we hunted six hours so um but on those hunts, I went with some guys. They mm-hmm. they say, if we sit in this spot till mid morning, I've got trail cameras. Birds are working in and out of here. Yeah, and, and we got and one of them. We we called in off the roof, so then we sat and killed like nine thirty. But to answer your question, um, I'm I'm big on trail cameras for turkeys. Okay, and what that allows on my property anyway, what that allows me to do is I know where the turkeys are and what time of day. Um, literally, I've been watching the this uh, on our lease that we have in my family farm. Mm-hmm. My, my, my dad lives. I mean, it's they're automatic almost. Like we've got a couple gobblers right now that literally are th- in this area most all day. Yeah, and you just they're in front of the camera sometimes. On these, most of these are on food plots. Some of them just little areas. I know there's like a little strut zone that's off a of food plot or on top of a little hill or something like that. And yeah. we have a lot, we have a lot of pines in here. And so turkeys are coming in and out, scratching in pines, you know, throughout the day. And, and we'll, we'll do some strategic burns and stuff. So those birds will be in there all times of day. But I really believe that if you can utilize your trail cameras and, and you can pattern those turkeys just as you could a mature buck. I mean, it, oh, that, that, I've killed tons of turkeys because I've been patient. I've, mm-hmm. I've sat. All right, these turkeys are coming between daylight and noon. I know they're going to, if I can be patient, I can just sit by that tree. I can have my decoys out, however you want to hunt, call a little bit, try to speed things up. But I've killed so many from just being patient, knowing that they're in the area. And, and that's, and that's the thing. If you have that luxury to use, you know, trail cameras and, and have that property that you can do that on. And we deer hunt the same property. So we see these birds all year. We know the yeah. areas they are. So, yeah, so you, you know, know what they're doing. Yeah, we we, we we got a pattern, and and now it, now if I'm if you just told me, hey, I've got two hundred acres down the road here, and I know nothing about the property. Yeah, how am I gonna I'm gonna approach that totally different? I'm gonna go in there in, in Georgia, and I say this term just just loosely out of all my years of experience. You don't we don't roost birds very much. They okay. they don't gobble a whole lot in the evening. They gobble a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. when they fly up. There's always exceptions. I mean, there's some guys out there that say, oh, man, they gobble on my place every time they 
tree hit, you know, feet hit a limb, they just wear it out. And, and I've roosted bird before like that. But if I don't have that luxury, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get there right at daylight, kind of have a lay of the land at least. Like if we're hunting a field, I'm not going to be standing in the middle of that field at daylight. Right. I'm going to on a tree line. I'm going to be trying to a spot where when a bird gobbles, I can either move on him and have some cover or I can sit down and be in the game already. Mm. So I'm going to let, I, I usually let the bird do their own thing. I know a lot of guys, guys out hoot or get a coyote, you know, call or, you know, whatever that you use. I kind of let the turkey start doing his own thing. Cause usually if he's gobbling on the roost on his own, mm-hmm. you can check the temperature real easy. Oh, yeah. So if he's up there, you know, if you're, if you're just standing there and he's gobbling, and gobble and gobble, 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 and you're being able to move and get set up. Now, you can, when you get set down and it gets light enough, you give him a few tree ups. You can, you know, this bird's kind of high, you know. Mm-hmm. And if it's one that you get an owl call, he gobbles one time and you, you'd never hear him again. I'm not saying you won't kill him, but he's already got a plan. He may have a girl sitting right there in the tree with him. You know, he, he may wait until that hen flies down and is at the bottom of his tree before he flies down. You know, it, it's just all subjective. It, it's a yeah. huge just match. Big Unless time. you don't know how to win. Big time, big time. So kind of talking about, so obviously if you got a bird that's super hot, right, you know, and he, he's going to come down, he's probably, you know, if, if you're set up right and conditions are right, nine out of ten times, you're probably going to get an opportunity at that bird, hopefully. But then let's let's talk about that bird that's, that's hinned up. You know, I've, I, I didn't compare elk hunting to turkey hunting a lot. You know, when you've got a bull that he, he's got a cow and he's just honed in on her, a lot of times you can't pull him away from her, but you can call her. So is that a tactic that you apply to turkey hunting? Do you try and work that hen before you try and work him? Or what What are you doing? If, he, if I know he's henned up, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to, depending on my terrain and depending on the conditions, of course, if um if it's a spot like, if I can visually see the bird, say they're in the middle of a field or a pasture. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call. I'm going to check the temperature of that and see what happens. If you can get that hen fired up a lot of times, I have killed birds by calling the boss hen over there. Like mm-hmm. you get mad and you're, you're just, when she starts calling, you give it right back to her. Like as fast as she calls, you call right back. You one up her and you just keep her pissed off. Yeah, just- and hopefully she's going to come over there and like, all right, I can't stand this anymore. And then he's going to get towed into, you know, at least close enough for a shot before right. she figures something's up. Um, but another thing, and, and this is some people like this, some people don't. I mean, I'm not afraid to throw up a fan. If a gobbler's out in the middle of a field or a pasture and he's got a group of hens, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw a fan up and I will crawl out there. And if I can get usually get within 100 yards of that bird and I start cutting at him real hard and show him that fan, it's it's a high percentage done deal. Done he's going to come over there. Now, you, you, I've done it. The, the first time I actually pulled that off, I was in Florida. And uh, in Georgia and Florida, it works, but it's – it's temperamental depending on your, your terrain. So I was down with, they had like, you know, some pasture land and stuff with, with your, uh, you know, like palmetto thickets and palm trees and typical Florida looking stuff in a oh, pasture. Yeah. And, and we, we have a bird gobbling, got decoys set out and he comes in and he sees the decoys. He turns around and leaves. Huh. And I'm thinking, okay, well this, this bird's seen this before. Like, Game he knows over. Something, yeah. Something's not right. And, and I was lucky because there was a, a, a barbed wire cattle fence that was stretched way through the woods. And you could see three, 400 yards down this fence line mm-hmm. and had cover on both sides. So he's, he's down, down on the edge of this fence, just kind of easing off. I crawl out there with a fan and I'm laying in the decoys. I got like a, a jig here and two hands. I'm, I'm laying in the decoys with a fan and I, I crawl there. I can see him and I would call and he'd stick his head up and he would look. I call, he'd stick his head up and he would look. I'd show him that fan and I'd call. Then he started gobbling. Yeah. And then he'd take a few steps my way, and he's two, three hundred yards away. Same thing. I just kept just pouring it to him. I would not. I was relentlessly calling to this bird and showing this fan. And finally, he starts strutting, and then he starts running toward me. Then he stops, strut, gobble, run, stop, strut, gobble. And I'm I'm sitting here facing you know this 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 way straight ahead. To my right is my buddy that, that was swimming with him, my dad, and hit my buddy's dad. And so I'm trying to get this turkey in range for my buddy's dad to kill. Yeah. I've got a gun just in case things get Western, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm laying there and here comes this bird. And like, he's within 40 yards of me. And I'm like, all right, kill it. Let's, y'all, y'all kill this turkey. Yeah. Kill it. And literally, because you, you can you can hear him on the video when, when the video of the turkey come in. Um, 
<laughs> it's like my dad's like, "What are you waiting on?" <laughs> and then, like, if they were just watching it go down so much, he didn't think about shooting the turkey. He's just watching the show. And finally, this turkey is within five yards of me. The next thing he's fixing Damn. to do is jump on my head. Yeah, he he is. And this is Osceola with some hooks on him. And dude, I'm like, okay, I can't take this no more. I drop the fan, and of course, he just sticks his head up like, "What's that about?" Wait a minute. Yeah, I get my shotgun up. And I shoot, and at five yards, my pattern so tight, I just clean whiffy, like right, right <laughs> by his head. Well, when he, when I miss, this turkey jumps straight up in the air. When I shoot, my buddy's dad shoots and shoots under the turkey, oh. but right in front of me. You know, I'm like, whoa, here, like this, this is getting wild. Getting it's getting crazy. western. I mean, real quick, I'm like, we're in a gunfight. I don't know what to buy. And, and so the turkey, he hops up. I miss. He hops up. He shoots under the turkey. Hits the ground. And he's dead sprint running away and i shoot him right in the back of the head about 30 yards and it looks like a flat tire roll. just rolled rolled so, him that's a that was my first time fanning one in that's awesome and and and, it, and that was a bird and come to find out once i got to that turkey i was like man his his back feathers and you know right above his fan look rough and i asked the outfitter he's like man we shot at a turkey right there the other day and i bet that's where that guy hit him so that turkey had already been shot a week before Dang. And still, and, still and, that, and that's what it took to get him to come in. So he didn't have any hands with him. Nothing. He was right by himself, but he was decoy shy, but that fan still brought him in. When you were calling at him, were you doing a bunch of cutting, yelping, or are you just mixing it up, throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him? What, what were you doing? I always start out soft. And so mm-hmm. I just do some yelps and see what he does. And then when, you know, maybe he's okay, I, I'm not really sure that. Then I'll, I'll cut at him a few times and, you can tell everything about a turkey by his head, by yeah. the color of his head and his snoot. If that snood's long hanging down, you're in good shape. When that new snood is it's like a little bitty point sticking up right there on his head, yeah. he's either alert, he, something's not, he's not, he's just, he's not playing the game right now, mm-hmm. you know. And as you call, and then when that head goes from, you know, a gray, red to blue, then white, it's on. Like he, oh, yeah. he is fired up. And that's how I do my calling all the time. Like I'll, if I can visually see the turkey, mm-hmm. I can check his temperature by how he's acting to the cause. Um, and then I can I'll get and before I let him walk away, I'm gonna give it to him. I'm gonna cut at him, I'm gonna do do all kind of you know, cutting usually is what what works the best. That that just gets them more and more excited because that hen is like pop, 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 pop. You know, that's that's what gets that gobbler's temperature up a lot of times. Yeah. But it's all subjective. And that's and that's people asking me about calling all the time. And I said, it totally depends on the mood of the bird. Yeah, hundred. It's a temperature reading. Exactly. So, so chest mount. Yeah, and, and that's. I never thought about that. I mean, I've, I've known that their heads change color when they get fired up, but I never actually thought to use that as a temperature gauge whenever I'm calling them. So that's that's a pretty good nugget there. Now, let's let's talk temperature reading whenever you don't have visuals on the bird. Let's let's say you got a bird 60, 70 yards away, and you're in a thicket and you can't see him. I mean. Obviously, if he's just going nuts and he's just responding, cutting you off, you know, it's game on. But what are you doing? Let's say you've got that bird that's trying to come in silent on you or he just shuts up and you don't really know where he is or what he's doing. Well, well it, I would answer this two-part question. The first yeah. part of that is it depends on where I'm at and what turkey I'm hunting. Okay. If I'm here in Georgia, um. And that, you know, I call it and a bird gobbles. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to chill out for a few minutes. See if he gobbles on his own. If he doesn't, I'm going to give him, I don't know, I'll give him a couple minutes or so. Yeah. Call again, and then I'll see where he's at. If he's closer that second time, I won't call to him much anymore. I, I'll really? let him. I, I, here with our birds, you need to be very passive. A passive will kill more turkeys than aggressive here. And there's exceptions to everything. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. It's me on, at all the turkeys I killed, my average, uh, how I handle things. Now, if I'm in Texas and we're hunting Rios, <laughs> bro, I mean, I'm pouring the cold to them. They're going to gobble every breath. I've, I've had I've had turkey. I was hunting with a buddy of mine in, in South Texas a few years ago. And we always pick on him. His name is, his name is Tom Herbert. Good okay. good buddy. And he, he's got big ears. Yeah. He, he's like my height, but his ears are trying <laughs> So we pick on him all the time. I'm like, hey man, um, you know, you get better satellite reception. You know, it's all 
<laughs> and, and, he, and he's a good sport about it. But we were turkey hunting in South Texas, and you know, I think I actually he he had missed one turkey twice that morning. Um, we, he missed him. We caught him back in. Missed him again, and we left him strutting down the road with another gobbler. So we're like, all right, we'll just back off. We'll go down here and we'll, we'll we, you know, we rode down the road a little ways and let's see if we can get one to gobble. So I called, and I mean, it's dead calm, which is rare for South Texas. And he's like, man, a bird just gobbled. I was like, huh? I didn't hear it. He's like, call again. I called again here. Bloop, bloop, bloop. I mean, like as far as you could hear. Oh yeah. And he's like, I told you, I was like, well, I'm never going to doubt you again. I mean, you got better reception than I do. <laughs> so, but that turkey, I mean, he was, had to be, I mean, a couple hundred yards away. Oh yeah. Easy. And within five minutes, that turkey was at full strut at 50 yards. It's because if, mm. if I'm out there hunting and this was, this was late April in, in South Texas, which mm-hmm. is late in the season, the season ends on May the 1st and, and those birds are, lonely all that there's so many freaking gobblers yeah. out there but the male birds are uh, unreal at the numbers in comparison to like georgia male versus female birds yeah but they were so lonely you hit a call and if they gobble at you you sit down i don't care how far away that bird is you sit down and you get ready if you're a spot you can see and within 15 minutes usually that bird's gonna be standing there and you can call to him the whole way and he's gonna gobble oh yeah when they're, when they're that hot and they're that lonely um you can be aggressive but if it depends on where you're like, like Missouri is another state that I've killed a couple really big birds in and it was same way you could, you, you had to pour it to them. Like they, they would be walking along and gobble. And if you stop, he's going to gobble again and he's going to be leaving. Mm-hmm. But if you call in, you, you turn him and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to come over here. You're, you're that, you're that aggressive with me. I'm going to come over here and talk to you, but it's all subjective to where you're at. How many, you know, male gobblers, you know, I think's in the area, male turkeys in the area. Um, that has a lot to do with it, with the competition level. And here, patience wins most of your, your battles. All right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to interrupt this podcast just to thank a few partners of ours. We want to thank Work Sharp Tools, the knife sharpening company, for all their support of HuntStand and the HuntStand podcast. If you haven't yet, head on over to WorkSharpTools.com. Check out everything they have to offer. I personally use the guided field sharpener. Keep it in the pack keep it in the hunting bag everywhere i go it goes with me that way when i'm up in the mountains or wherever i am i've got that with me so that way when my knife eventually goes dull i've got that there by my side we also want to thank alps outdoors exceed your expectations alps has a lot of great products to use when it comes to big game turkey and predator if you haven't yet head on over to alpsoutdoors.com and we are going to get right back to the hunt stand podcast with michael lee Oh, big time. Yeah, that's sometimes Texas can be temperamental like that. But uh I I mean, similar situation like you, man. It we had it was mid mid afternoon. You know, we, we first went out, hunting was kinda tough. We heard some gobbles here and there and it was kinda one of those windy days and we were just going nuts on the box call as loud as we could get. And we we're just sitting there like, wait a minute. We just hear a gobble and then like you said 15 minutes later all of a sudden here he comes just running in just spitting and drumming and shot him in the face and put him down <laughs> so south texas too man i love it so let's talk i want to kind of dive into roosting birds i think this is kind of a gray area for some people especially those that are new to turkey hunting when they hear um roosting a bird or putting them to bed they're i think Somebody asked me, asked me this the other day. I was like, yeah, we got to go put some birds to bed. They're like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? Putting a roost. And like, tell, tell everybody a little bit about how, you know, if you're in an area and you might have some birds that you're able to put to bed, how are you doing that? What's, what's your tactic to trying to roost birds? Um, for the most part, um, when I've done that, the majority of the time it's been like in, uh, in Kansas, we did that all the time in like Nebraska and places like that where you've got a lot, a lot of agriculture and mm-hmm. then you have your river bottoms and, and your drains that the birds will basically they fly down, they hit a field and they walk all through the fields and pastures and everything all day with hens and without hens doing their thing. And then they go back in the river bottoms, unless it's warm and they go back in the shade mm-hmm. and then they go and, and fly up right at dark. Well, if there's a field that we know there's been some birds in, we'll go glass that field right at dark. We'll watch them and then literally try to see what tree they fly up yeah. in. 
And our goal is to get on that field edge, almost under that bird and have the decoys out and, you know, in front of us when it gets daylight. So when he starts gobbling, the first thing he sees is our decoys. Yeah. And usually they'll pitch down. And especially, like I said, those Rios and, and even a lot of the Easterns when, and, and field birds like that, mm-hmm. if they see a strutter decoy or a fan out there, they come down and get right to it. Right to it. Okay, somebody's trying to take my spot and I'm not going to let that happen. So they'll come jump on him and get shot. Oh, heck yeah. So when you're going in there that early, that was kind of one of the next things I wanted to talk to you about. How early are you getting in the woods in the morning? Especially, I mean, obviously mornings like that, you got to get in super dark. But yeah, it sounds like you don't do that too much. But what would you say is kind of like the average time that you get in the woods? Like first daylight or 30, 45 minutes before? What are you doing? Well, I'll put it like my dad says. you got two options. Yep. You can, you can get up and go hunt or you can go hunting when you get up. <laughs> you, got, you got either one. That's um, true. And I will say this, if you've got a bird roosted or you know a good good idea where they're going to be roosted at and where they're going as they fly down, that's where you need to be. Be in there before you, before daylight. I mean, a turkey can see better than a lot of people think in low light. Mm-hmm. If it's just kind of like gray out where you can't see color or whatever, but it's light enough to see without a flashlight, a turkey could see you. Probably now, too I think, late. Yeah, I've, I've bumped some off the roost and, and they – fly down, you know, and they just tree hop and go further away. Yeah. And then they'll start gobbling. I'm like, well, I bumped him off. But and sometimes they come in, sometimes they don't. I mean, they're, but they're, you, they don't, unless you walk under one in the good daylight and bumping and you just, you just watch him fly. I mean, he, he, he can still be in the ball game, but you, mm-hmm. that's the worst thing that happen. Because when you bump him out of that tree and he flies off a long ways like that, that you just check on him tomorrow, you know. Cause I just, uh, he's, he usually don't. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's doing something else somewhere else. Um, but you know, if, if it's a spot where you don't really have a bird roosted, you don't really know, I'm just standing in a spot that I own on top of a ridge or rise or open area where I'm, I'm close enough to, to woods. I can sit down, but where I can hear a long ways, yeah. you know, and like if, if, you know, you're sitting where you got a, a creek bottom or whatever like that. The birds like to roost on. You may not know what tree he's in, but you can hear him when he starts gobbling. Use that tree line or whatever cover you got to get as close as you can. Mm-hmm. Sit down and, and try to try to get him pitched down to you. So, one of the things I kind of have a question for you on is those birds that you've got roosted. You know exactly the tree he's in, field edge. You're getting in there when it's pitch black. Are you going in? complete darkness or are you worried about headlights making that bird go off um and, and what we do like having video equipment and stuff and having to kind of get hidden pretty good and, and blinds and or not you know pop-up blinds but like little what i call just throw up blinds when you're turkey hunting you know for yeah. cover um we'll, we'll use like our cell phone light sometimes just keep it shining down at the ground and just enough to get by to to get set up i wouldn't go blazing in there with a bright white headlight or mm-hmm. you know, riding on your golf cart or whatever with light on <laughs> no. like um, but i mean if, i guess if you get in there early enough it might work you'd have to get there really early i think but, okay um, you know but at the same time if you're hunting a farm that people drive around all the time got cattle and crops and all that it may not bother those birds but you know typical woods birds you know i, I wouldn't i wouldn't go in there with anything like that maybe get away with a green light or a red light or something but, might be able to get away with it yeah so how how late are you hunting in the mornings? Is this kind of like you're just reading the temperature of the birds or, you know, typical you coming back in at lunch? I know there's some guys that stay out all day. What are you doing? Yes, it just depends on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the situation. I mean, it, it, like like we were talking about, if we're in South Texas mm-hmm. and I know we've got a bunch of birds and, I mean, we'll, we'll stay out there until we kill. And, I mean – that's a you know prime example is South Texas. We go out there. Uh, I've gone out there before. We kill one right off the roost, do our thing, pack it up, go to another spot, kill another bird. Gets kind of warm. Let's go chill out, eat lunch, hang out, cool off. Go back out three or four in the afternoon, kill another one. I mean, it's it, when you're on a spot that's that's that good uh, with that many birds, you can kind of hunt them all day like that. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, here even in Georgia, I mean, I, I'll stay with him pretty hard um, until I think, well, okay, he's either not coming or he has hens with him 
I, I know I'm not going to get him away from them. And, and those hens, the problem you have with the hens is what I've kind of learned here anyway is when they fly down, the hens already got her, her day kind of planned out. Yeah. Especially, you know, this time of the year where they're, I think our birds here are already nesting pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had birds on camera breeding weeks ago. So I think those hens are, are starting to sit on the nest more and more, but, and based on trail cam pictures of gobblers too being by themselves, you know, middle of the day. But I think those hens will fly down. They go, they hit a food source, food plot, whatever, peck around, feed along, go to thick stuff wherever they're going to nest. And that's when either that gobbler's either going to come right on to you or off the roost, or he's going to get with that hen and he's going to go follow her to wherever she goes. And then he realizes, hey, she's not going to do her thing. She's sitting on a nest, so now I got to go find somebody else to play with or, or or whatever. And that's when I'll get birds on camera, you know, 11, 12, 1, 2, 4, during out the day, right by themselves, coming yep. in, walking through a food plot. I think they do it like, like, like white-tailed deer do a lot of times. Mm-hmm. They'll go to spots they know hens go to feed. And, all right, well, I'm just going to hang out here in the shade or right in this area until – I see a hen walk out or I hear one and then I'm going to go check her temperature, you know, and see, see if she wants to lay down for me. Yeah. So I think that happens a lot more. I like it, man. So I know obviously it's, it's a temperature reading thing, but how often would you say that when it comes to calling that, you know, you sounds like you're pretty aggressive just depending on where you're at, what birds you're hunting, but do you ever kind of go at a bird and play hard to get with them sometimes when you're calling? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it may be one of those, it's like a afternoon hunt's prime. So you, so you hunt that morning, whatever happens, happens. You go back, grab your bite to eat, you go back out, you know, one or two o'clock, whatever. And a lot of times here, if, if, especially if it's a sunny day and it's it's kind of warm, yeah, I just go find a nice, comfortable spot. I got me a little turkey lounger kind of chair, you know, that fold out. I'm sitting six inches off the ground, whatever. And I'll just kick back and, and relax and let the wind blow. And then I'll call a little bit and, Everyone, then you know, if I had them an hour later, bam, one gobbles and comes in and gets shot, you know. So, I mean, there, I think that that's what I would do a lot. And when you, when you set up in those scenarios, I mean, you just get out there and do, do a few yelps and see what happens and cut a little bit, give it a little time and sit there for 30 minutes or so. And yeah. if you don't hear, you don't see anything, just get up and ease around, go a couple hundred yards or whatever, find another spot that looks good where you can see a good ways and and give it a try again i i've killed a bunch of birds in the afternoon just literally going and sitting on food plots and getting set up and they come in quiet but when they come in they see decoys whatever they come in strut around do put on a show they may never gobble but that that happens open today last year here in georgia i did that um it was six o'clock in the evening and a bird popped out in the food plot came right to the decoy um strutted around i shot him he laid right there by the decoy, didn't even flop, and then five more gobblers came in and jumped on him and the decoys, and none of them ever gobbled. And I, I, I let them walk off, and um, you know, great opening day hunt. Had a bird down, and never heard a gobble that afternoon. That morning they were going crazy, and I yeah. called one. Dad shot him, but um, that's just how it is, man. It's it's so temperamental. It was cool that afternoon too. It was overcast, a little bit breezy, and and pretty cool outside. So those are the nice days. Yeah, and until it gets, I'm one of them man. When it gets 85 degrees and 90 degrees, I, I really don't care anything about it anymore. Same. Unless, unless they're just running in, wanting to die. Oh yeah. So, decoys. Are you using them a bunch or situational? I know there's some guys that they just don't like to use them if they don't have to, and there's other guys that they they die by them. I would say. Um, nine times out of 10, I'm going to use them. Mm-hmm. And depending on where I'm set up and kind of how the hunt goes down. I mean, if we're just kind of doing a running and gunning kind of thing and we strike one, I'm just going to sit down and we'll see what happens, especially if we're in the woods. Yeah. Um, I got time. I may throw, throw a single hen out there or, or a single Jake decoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, if I'm setting up on a field food plot, you know, a big open area, uh, or even in woods where you can see a long ways, I'm going to put my decoys out. Uh, I, in Georgia, historically, my strutter decoys or fan decoys don't work that great. No. Like, I don't know if, if it intimidates the, the wrong bird. Um, but that Dave Smith decoy, Jake, this like the, the half strut Jake. Yep. That, 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 that dude's got more turkey shot than, <laughs> than freaking 
ball factory, dude. It's crazy. I've got BBs literally rolling around inside of him where he's been shot. And Damn. Lateral damage. We shot him standing on the back of him. I mean, all, all kind of stuff. Um, just, I don't know what it is. I guess that decoy, just that posture, mm -hmm. it, pretty much even a, a single gobbler that comes in, it challenges him enough to where he's going to go over there and check out, try to run that little guy off. And, you know, if you got two gobblers coming in and see him, it's pretty much game over. They're going to come with you. Yeah. So would you say that um, sounds like you probably you're just kind of like setting up a Jake decoy most of the time? I mean, or what, what's your what's your go to decoy setup most of the time? Um, most of the time is that it's that Dave Smith, Jake. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll ha I have a feeding hen that I'll put out there. I don't like an alert hen. I know a lot of people use an alert hen, but I don't like an alert hen mm -hmm. because she's alert. Like when, the, you know, well, another turkey sees another turkey with his head up. Something's up. What, what, what are we looking at? Like, what's going on? Because I've had the feeding hen, literally hens walk over there and look at front of her face like, what, what are you eating? Like, is that, you got <laughs> out there for me? Like, I'm, I'll peck around in front of her. Like, oh, yeah. well, I don't, you know, and I do have a, a laying hen that sometimes I'll put kind of in the vicinity of that Jake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you got the, the right gobbler with the right attitude and he sees a Jake trying to move up on a laying hen, then that makes him pretty mad. So. He gets him fired up. Yeah. Yeah. So that but that's that's kind of my three. Um I do have um it's one of the little I don't know what it's called. It's made I think it's made by Flexstone. Okay. It's kind of half the half body gobbler. It's just got like the, the front of the breast and a little bitty beard on it. Yeah. And put my real fan in it. Mm -hmm. Now I'll take that with me a lot of times. If I'm just walking through the woods, like walking and checking a food plot or somewhere I'm gonna go set up, I'll ease in, you know, with that in front of me to kind of oh, block yeah. me and gobbler out there, then I can just ease down and he doesn't know know anything different, and yeah. um, I'll use it out there with my decoy set up sometimes because it's real small. Mm -hmm. um, I think that like a a really big gobbler decoy can hurt you in some instances, but like I said, you get like states like Missouri, Texas, Kansas, Nebraska, out west like that, they they see that fan a lot of times and they just come in and destroy it. I, I've had a full strutter kind of mess me up before. Yeah. I think it depends on what side of the Mississippi River you're on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of been that way for me, for sure. Man, I want to, I want to dive into your calls. You know, obviously you're probably mouth call guy. I mean, you got to. I mean, if you're a turkey hunter, you got to have it. Obviously, some of the newer, if you're new to turkey hunting, those can be tricky to master. But aside yeah. from a, a good mouth call, what's kind of your go-to call? Are you a box call? Are you a slate guy? Like, what's your go-to? Um. 90% of the time I'm going to use a mouth call. Yeah. That's just that's what I'm comfortable with. That's what I've, I, I, I literally learned on a mouth call to, to turkey call. Same that's here. The thing. And I figured I said, that's the hard, everybody said, well, that's the hardest thing to do. Well, so well, let me get that out of the way first. Yeah. So, and it was, it was, a, it was an interesting ride to, to get it figured out. But <laughs> yeah, um, I like that because your hands are free. You know, it's versatile. You can purr, cluck, cut, yell, whatever, gobble. I mean, you can do all kinds of crap on it. Um, but if I'm going to, my secondary call, I'll probably go to a slate or a glass over slate second okay. because I can call softer on that mm -hmm. pretty good, you know, do some cuts and yelps and kind of the same thing you can with a mouth call. It's just got a different tone to it. You can get a different rasp, different pitch. And then my, my other is I'll have a box call. Um, and I'm a, I'm a fan of, of the old school call makers. Like I've collected a few over the years and like a, like a Lamar Williams box call is one of the. I mean, Mr. Lamar lives in Florida and he's built some of the best sounding box calls in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got one of those and that's one of them that, Hey, I've, I've used these other two calls and nothing's really popping off. I'll get that box call out. If it's a windy day, you need a longer range call. Um, or if you just get somewhere like a, like a Texas or whatever, that's got a bunch of gobblers and you just want to get everything in the world fired up. You just hammer on that thing a little bit. Like, oh, they'll be, they'll be gobbling their heads off race then to see who can get over there first but um but yeah that's that's kind of my three go-to's I, I mean i've got wing bone calls and mm -hmm. can use those and they sound good but it, they're they're hard to master that, that maybe may be harder than a mouth call i yeah i, I yeah I, I would not disagree with you there at all um what's your what's your favorite type i mean not from a brand perspective but when it comes to mouth calls do you like a raspier call what i mean what's kind of been your your go-to mouth call yeah, I mean, I like a, I like a raspy call that it's not because because you got double read, triple read, and quadruple read on on some mm -hmm. of some of these things, and 
I like a, a double reed that can be raspy, sometimes a triple reed, like a shipwreck cut or, or a lizard tongue or a bat wing, something like that. Mm-hmm. Those are usually pretty raspy. But I like a call that's thin, the latex and everything's thin enough where I can cut, yelp, and purr all on the same call. Because you, you get a mouth call that's that's too thin or, you know, a thin uh, double reed. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, you don't, have, you can't cut on them as good. It's too high pitch. It doesn't roll over good. Mm-hmm. If you get one that's like a triple reed with a, with a, you know, a bat wing cut or whatever in it, that's too thick, then you can't purr and, and your yips might sound decent and you can cut okay, but you just got to have that versatility because I don't know how many times I've been there and had that gobbler at 60 yards, 70 yards. I mean, just coming a little bit further and I have to give him real soft yelp, real, you know, uh, Little, little soft purrs to him or whatever on that mouth call. And then he just eases on in and you don't want a mouth call that you have to use a ton of air to blow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's if you, if you're on there and you just, you feel like you're about to pass out trying to get a yelp to break over just don't use that call, man. Cause you need to be able to, to be soft and delicate. Cause if you, you ever get in the woods and you hear a real hen, like if you get her really excited, she's loud, but she's really crisp. Oh yeah. She, it's it's a, it's awesome to hear, and I've heard some that sound like they smoke twelve packs of cigarettes. Yeah. And birds are losing his mind when she yells, you know. Um, and, and it's just a, like I said, it's, it goes back to that chess match. But finding that right tone for the mm. birds in your area is important too, because you know I can take a call that I've killed fifty birds here in Georgia with. I go to Kansas, and they just sit there and go, well, "What is that crap?" You know, you got to match the tones of the ends. And, and it's they're all different, and it's all subjective to, to kind of what you're comfortable with and what you can work with. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, man, I love it. All the all these nuggets. I th- I think this is a lot of great advice for our listeners. I mean, heck, I've learned a lot from you just sitting here for this 50, 45, 50 minutes. I love it. I love picking other hunters' minds and finding out what y'all do differently. And and that's the beauty of hunt, man. There, there's no right way or wrong way. It's whatever works mm-hmm. for you. And, and everything I'm telling you, I would say 90% of that is because I messed up yeah. and I had to learn it. You know, um, my uncle actually took me turkey hunting for the first time. I was in my early twenties. I might have, I might've been 19 or 20 and I didn't know anything about anything. And, um, we go and hunt and I got to hear a bird gobble. I actually saw a gobbler with a hen in the distance going through a little Creek bottom. And a hen came in by herself and almost walked across my boot. And I was like, man, we just made that hen walk by us. This is one of the coolest things ever. Heck yeah. and then I went and bought turkey calls. And I learned all that. But I didn't – I didn't like my dad actually started turkey hunting after I did. Mm-hmm. I called in my the first two birds my dad killed, like before Dang. anything. And so it was – you know, my dad bass fished um, and we deer hunted. And that was that was all. Same. And yeah. turkey, turkeys were – you shoot the dang turkeys and get them, get them out of you know where your deer feeds at. Yeah, they screw up your deer hunt. Screw up deer, dang turkeys, and and so that's what kind of everybody now is obviously a one eighty from that. But I mean, I really learned so much by messing up. I mean, from mm-hmm. a bird like a prime example. This past uh, a week ago tomorrow, I shot a bird in Florida, and um, we had several birds. The air was so heavy. We had birds that we were visibly watching 70 yards in front of us and we could barely hear them gobble. It was just that huge. It, it rained the whole night before. Just It was a beautiful morning, but it was just real heavy air, kind of foggy. And um, But we, we had a bird come in quiet. Well, he gobbled a few times, and he snuck in behind us, and we had three more gobblers in front of us that were too far. Mm-hmm. They were gobbling, and I was calling to them, and they were, you know, just losing their mind. But they had a hen with them, and she was kind of courting them the other way. And we turned and looked like crap. This bird's standing thirty yards <laughs> the exact wrong way, and he he knew something went right, and he just he and I watched him out the corner of my eye, and he just walked off like he didn't run, he didn't putt, he didn't anything alarming. He just kind of okay, something's not right, and he walked off. And and I'm sitting there, and, and my buddy Shad was videoing me, and he and I said that bird's going to come back. He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I had the same thing happen to me 20 years ago, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Now I had a really big bird come in, and this wasn't a big bird; this was just a gobbler. But I said I had a big bird come in. He walked out of the pines, and he saw something he didn't like, and he just turned around and went right back where he came from. And I sat there. I said another 30, 45 minutes. And I looked over there and he was standing in the same spot. 
he came right back out the same Damn. spot. And I'd called, I mean, I'd called a little bit. Yeah. And then I didn't kill him, but he's because he just stayed too far. He, he kind of skirted me out in front and just never got like back then, 40 yards was a stretch with, with, you know, no, whatever loads we could find. It was before the TSS days and all oh, that yeah. stuff. So, um, you know, he skirted us and, and I didn't get a shot at him. My dad actually killed that bird like a week later. At nine o'clock in the morning, my dad goes over there, hits a turkey call one time. He gobbles, he comes running in, kills him inch and a half spurs and a thirteen inch beard. Dads have all and the I'm, luck, man. That's, that's my dad. That's, yeah. that's big one. That's my dad right here behind me in this this picture. Yeah, yeah. Up, watch this video. Like um, that's some uh, that's our Miriams. We we both completed two more Grand Slams um, last year in South Dakota. But this guy right here could catch a five pound bass in a Walmart parking lot. And he can kill 150 inch deer at the Bass Pro parking lot, and then he can get turkey hunting and, and shoot one in the middle of the, the food section at Walmart. So it's just <laughs> got that, you know. Um, but anyway, with all that being said, mm-hmm. that, that's just one thing that I learned from screwing up. And 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 I've you know walked under birds that were gobbling when I should have sat down, just pressed too close. That's that's when I learned that your your foliage cover has a lot to do with how far a turkey sounds away. Yeah. You know, little things like that, that I didn't have anybody teach me. So uh, a lot of gobblers got away. Another thing, I, I, you talking about calling a while ago. Uh, I was hunting one time here in Georgia, and there was a, just a big, fresh clear cut. Yep. I mean, me and a couple buddies of mine, we just walked out there. It was an afternoon hunt, and I call, didn't hear anything. We stand there for a few more minutes, and all right, well, we walk another couple hundred yards, sit there, and I call. And we're kind of tucked up a little bit. I turn and look, and right where I could just call from the first time, there were three gobblers standing there. Never made a sound. Just they were standing like in our footprints. They can pinpoint it, man. God. That, that's when I learned if you're going to call, give it 15, 20 minutes, sit down, call in case one comes in quiet. I yeah. got buddies. My buddy in Kentucky, I was talking about that he will not do that. It is, it is you keep walking that property until you make one gobble. And if they don't want to gobble at you, you get in the truck and go to another spot. God. And that's how he hunts. He'll walk you to death. Man. So you, but you're going to find a turkey sooner or later. So, man, I, um, it, yeah, you, you just have to. I mean, I, I can remember guiding out in South Texas probably about five, six years ago. And we had some birds gobble early and they just straight shut up. But I knew they were down in this drainage because it was hot. They were staying cool. And we just kind of stayed off caddy corner and we're calling and you might hear one gobble every 30 minutes. I'm like, they're down there. We we just, we got to figure something out. And so I don't know what I did. I, I I think I just cut at them and uh, then they just shut up. I'm like, well, I screwed that up. You know, they're, they're gone. And I told uh, the girls with the client, I said, all right, well, let's go. And I slowly got up and I looked and 12 yards away coming in, there were three of them redheads i could just see over the grass and i told her i said get back down she goes what i said there's three toms coming i mean and they just peeked their head out she blasted one at like seven yards right in front of us it was awesome mm-hmm. and that's and that, i mean that you're talking about south texas like that uh, um uh, i was talking about that home with my buddy tom earlier and it was that mm-hmm. i don't know if it was that trip or we went down there twice together like that and we killed some birds, and my, my wife went, and we were hunting with Bonnie and Mike McFerrin, good friends of ours that have Legends of the Fall TV yeah. show uh, down down on their ranch. And um, so Bonnie likes to go when, when my wife goes. Beth and Bonnie, they're, they're they're they call themselves the killer bees, you know. They and, yeah. and they like to hunt together because Mike down there, he Mike don't care about turkey hunting. That's why we get to go. Yep. Um, whatever, come shoot some turkeys. So we, we're down there, and I think my buddy Tom and I, we both killed a bird, and we we're trying to get Beth and Bonnie on them. And same deal. I mean, it was kind of windy. And and another thing about South Texas, there's so many coyotes and things like that that oh, the birds don't when, when they're tucked in the mesquite. Now, yeah. when they're out on Sendero or whatever, they'll they'll fire off or uh, you know fields or whatever like yeah. that. But in the woods, it's kind of it's subjective, right? Yeah. So we're down. There. Same kind of deal, man. We're set. We're set up, and I like we'll just sit here. We'll watch down this Sendero. We'll call for. 20, 30 minutes, and then we'll go somewhere else and do it again. We'll fire them one sooner or later. And we're, we're sitting there like that, and I'm videoing them. They're sitting like two yards in front of me on this mesquite tree. And and I, I don't know if I look down at my phone or, or whatever I'm doing, and, and I hear them, they're like, what do we do? And I was like, huh? I looked up, there's seven gobblers standing in there. Yeah. They're inside five yards. And I don't know where they like, I said, and I, I, they got away. I mean, they were in our lap so fast. They're just like, oh, okay, never mind. And they go right back. <laughs> See ya. And I was like, 
where did they come from? They're like, we, we just were watching down the Sendero and they all walked out in one group right in front of us like that. And they never made a sound. They never gobbled. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I was like, there are seven long beers standing right here. And they all got away somehow. Ah. It was, you know, that that's turkey hunt, man. It, it is. All, right. You know? I mean, it's hunting in general. It's, it's trial and error. I mean, I think that's how, that's how you got to learn. I think there's, um, might piss a couple people off whenever I say this, but I think some people, they try to make the hunt too perfect and they try to make the perfect move and then they just get angry when it doesn't happen. It's like, Hey, you know, that's hunting. It's, that's why they call it hunting and not killing. I mean, you got to learn from those mistakes. Like you were talking about. I mean, there's a hundred things I wish I would have done different deer woods up in the mountains, chasing elk. You know, you get home and you think about it and you're like, damn, I really wish I would have done this. I would have done that. I would have killed him if I would have done that. But Hey, you learned it, and you know next time when that situation happens, you know how to handle it better. And I relate it to, like, years playing baseball or whatever. I mean, it, everything's reactive. Yes. And then, I mean, hunting's reactive, sports are reactive, and you're sitting there and, and man, I should have known that curveball was coming. Yeah. You know, that, and you did, but mm-hmm. next time you you look at that curveball, of course, then you, they throw a slider or change up, mess you up anyway. But, <laughs> yeah. But that's just how it is. I mean, you adapt your skills to the best you can. You try to learn from your database that, of mistakes or whatever. And I think a lot of times there, there's two things about turkey hunting, and I'm not trying to get too long with everything, but with, with a lot of people have a misconception about turkey hunting because depending on where they live, mm-hmm. because there, there's some states that just there's just plethora of turkeys. They they're all in people's yards and all, and they think literally think there's nothing to killing these turkeys. Well, if I was sitting on your back deck shooting them out under your bird feeder, there's probably not a lot to it. But if I go in the woods in there and mm-hmm. I try to call a turkey in, that's a different story. And then there's, like you said, there's people that think unless that gobbler comes in full strut, gobbles, comes to the decoys, and then you shoot him, you didn't do anything. Well, that's a crock of crap too, man, because I, I, have, I have hunted my – best when I first started turkey hunting in Georgia, which I was learning a lot, I was doing good to kill one turkey a year. We didn't have a ton of turkeys, number one. Yeah. But uh, – on our family farm where I hunted, we may have two or three gobblers to hunt the whole season. And I mean, we knew kind of where they roosted and where they went, but they were slick, man. They had, you know, plenty of hens. And I, there was, there's a couple of birds I can remember offhand. Like I literally could only see the turkey's head. And I said, well, there you go. I'm fixing to die. You know? Boom. And, and I mean, from a video standpoint, that's not the best thing in the world. I used to be the world's worst about not milking footage. Like, <laughs> got one committed to the decoy and you know, he's in, he's in the death circle, as I call it. And, and you know he's just going to be there for a while. You can mm-hmm. kind of let it go. I'm just ready to shoot. Like, it, like it's just a shooting. You know? I just want to kill that bird. Just want to kill. Yeah. I just want to go out there and see how long his spurs are. That's, that's really like Easter egg hunt. See what I got under a prize egg there. I'm thinking about a turkey fry. <laughs> exactly. Put that thing on a pellet grill at 300 degrees for about three hours, man. You can call me. I'll tell you right now. Man, man. I love it. Well, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast and letting me pick your brain and just talk turkeys and hopefully get some golden nuggets for our listeners out there today. No, I appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it. And uh, I look at it this way. I've been around here long enough, made enough mistakes. Hopefully I can teach somebody something somewhere along the way. Oh, yeah, man. There you have it, everybody. Another end to another great episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. We just want to thank Michael for coming on and bringing us lots of killer turkey hunting tactics. And if you haven't yet, You're going to want that lucky pair of drawers out of the dresser in the woods with you the next time because you never know. Things might be coming down to the wire. You got to go to work the next day, and you're going to need to break out those lucky drawers just like Mike does. So we just want to thank him for hopping on the podcast with us. And if you haven't yet, head on over to HuntStand.com or on your phone, whichever app store you use, Google Play or the iPhone app store. Make sure you have HuntStand downloaded. And if you've only got the free version, get you the pro version because you have no idea what you're missing out on y'all there are a, a lot of features and layers there that you're missing out on that could potentially be the difference between you killing and not killing so make sure you go on over to huntstand.com download the app if you haven't yet or get you the pro version but we just want to thank all of y'all for tuning in to the huntstand podcast and we will see you on the next one